We continue our readings from Galatians, and this morning we're looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Now you'll find those on the overheads or in the church leaflets. Galatians 5, 1 to 25. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is, a, he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I'm confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, I'm still preaching circumcision. Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is, filled, is fulfilled in keeping the one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit.
All right, uh, keep your passage open in front of you and uh, there'll be a chance afterwards for some questions. Uh, so if you've got any questions as we go related to the passage and what we're talking about this morning, uh, just uh, write them down and uh, be ready to fire them off afterwards. Now, I wonder if you ever feel like you've got a war going on inside of you. You ever feel like that? Sometimes I wonder if I got sort of psych evaluated, whether they'd uh, tell me that I had one of those split personality disorders or something. Uh, I remember as a younger Christian, I used to think that uh, this would get easier, that it would get better, it would kind of die down. But I think it's actually done the opposite. I think the battle inside me is as fierce as it's ever been. And it's a battle over freedom. Actually, it's a battle of two different kinds, two different views, two different opposing freedoms. See, deep within me, and I have a hunch that perhaps deep within you too, is kind of this battle of two different ideas, two diametrically opposed concepts of what freedom is. And these two ideas, these two freedoms are constantly clashing with each other constantly fighting to win our hearts. See, on the one hand is a freedom that we're born with. And this freedom is the idea that true freedom is found in fulfilment. It's found in satisfying the desires and the pleasures and the delights of our hearts. And so the only way really to be truly free is to get rid of all the restraints, all the blocks, all the barriers, all the things that minimise the pleasure and those delights and desires of our hearts. That's what freedom is, to enjoy the things that my heart longs for. And that is a really strong desire, isn't it? It's really strong. It's really hard to fight that desire because we always fear that we're missing out. Freedom's over there and we're not grasping it with two hands. But since I've come to Christ, there's another freedom within me. Another kind of freedom that's fighting and competing for my allegiance. And it's a freedom from my natural desires. It's actually a freedom from my longings. It's a freedom from my cravings and the sin within my heart and the things that I desire. See, this freedom is a freedom from sin. A freedom where I'm no longer chained and bound and enslaved and kind of tossed to and fro by my cravings and my desires and my lustful appetites and my longings. It's a freedom to enjoy the beauty that God has made in this world without greedily coveting it and trying to figure out how I can twist it and use it for my own selfish gain. It's a freedom to be able to have relationships with people without self-seeking and trying to figure out what I can get out of it. A freedom to be able to love my neighbour and my brother and my sister and those around me without envying what they have and who they are. See, it's a freedom from wrath, from fear, from guilt, from shame. And I desperately want this freedom too. 
but they war within me. Do you feel like that? And the fear of making the wrong decision and missing out on freedom, I reckon is probably one of the biggest fears up there uh, for people in our world today. The fear that we could live our life and not have truly experienced freedom, I think is probably one of the biggest fears that people have. And here in verse 13, Paul gets right to the heart of the issue. Have a look with me. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but... Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, opposite to our natural idea of freedom, it's completely opposite, isn't it? Because our natural idea of freedom, as I said, is that the whole purpose of freedom is to just do what we want. That's freedom, right? If I'm doing what I want to do, then I'm free. That's what our world tells us. But not once, but twice here in this passage we're actually told that true freedom is not doing what we want. Have a look again at verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary or in opposition to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. See, back in Paul's day, there was this false gospel getting around, this false gospel that... Well, okay, Paul, if you say we are made right with God, we're forgiven uh, completely, not by how we live, not by what we've done, but by what Jesus has done, well, that means whatever sin we do doesn't really matter, right? If he's forgiven us all our sins, well, we can just sin, sin it up all over the place. It doesn't really matter. We're forgiven. We're already saved. What difference does it make? Well, we might never actually vocalise this, but you know what? I think for every single one of us who are Christians, I think this is actually a trap for us too. See, have you ever thought to yourself, well, I'm already forgiven, so what difference does it make? Or, oh, that doesn't really matter, that's not a big deal. Or... No, my life in all these other areas has kind of conformed and I'm following Christ here, so it doesn't matter if there's a few things that I just keep to myself. A few little, you know, personal pleasures here and there. A little bit of sin can't hurt. See, maybe we don't think of it quite that crassly or that obviously, but I think for all of us, we're tempted to presume upon God's grace, to think that he's given us grace and so we can just creep a little bit in the way that we live, in creeping a little bit into sin. But Paul says this is exactly what the gospel is not. So even though indulging the flesh might seem free, on the outside these acts are anything but free. Have a look at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now imagine, imagine this church, we, us, we people here, 
Imagine we all lived and chased that kind of freedom. Imagine we all chased our desires. What would church look like? I can tell you now, it wouldn't look free. Because when we're constantly fighting and arguing and envying and coveting and cheating with each other's spouses, and that is not free. That's actually enslaved to our passions, which actually degrade us, which actually tear apart families and communities. See, sexual immorality is praised in our world, isn't it? But it actually leaves profoundly broken and empty people. Free love isn't really free, is it? And hatred. Well, hatred just tears apart families, communities and people personally from the inside out. Jealousy and envy pits us against each other as rivals, each trying to outdo each other and trying to get one up on each other. And it means that we can never actually truly love each other or really be close to each other because we're so busy thinking about what the other person has and what I don't have and how we can do better. Rage leaves a trail of destruction. Selfish ambition turns other people just into tools and stepping stones for me to use to try and get what I want. Arguments divide rather than build. And drunkenness doesn't enhance life, it dulls us and makes a fool of us and traps us in this cycle of dependence. Now this is just kind of a little snapshot. This is not a comprehensive list in any way of what it looks like to follow the desires of our hearts. But even from that little snapshot, it's not good news, is it? It's not freedom. But yet it still pulls hard at our heart, doesn't it? And we all give in, don't we? We all do use our freedom to indulge. We need to see this in a different light. We need to see this false kind of freedom for what it is. It's a slavery. See, the gospel isn't a hall pass to let us get off scot-free and do whatever we want. That's not the kind of freedom we were called to. We were called out of this evil age we read in chapter 1, out of sin and into service. We've been made free to become servants. Verse 13 again. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There's quite a different thing, isn't it? The world's view of freedom is so individualistic, isn't it? It's all about me getting what I want. But God's way of freedom is not about me. It's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. It's, it's actually a thing where I think more and I care more and I act more in the interests of others than myself. It's not about me getting what I want. It's about me helping give what other people need. See, in the gospel... We're not just saved as individuals to remain as individuals. We're actually saved into a body, into a family, into a church. And we're a community, a people. It's not Christ's brides, plural. It's Christ's bride, singular. 
we together as the people of God are one in Christ. And just like a body, we belong to each other. Every part of my body belongs to every other part of my body. And we need each other and we need to look after each other. Now, if you think about a body part and that sort of that picture language, a thumb is not free if it's disconnected from my body. You chop my thumb off, I'll have something to say about it. But my thumb is not going to be very free, is it? It's just going to shrivel up and die. And it's true of us too. We are a body. We need each other. And if we are disconnected from God's people, well, we're actually not really free. We'll slowly shrivel up and die. See, now anyone who's had uh, an organ fail on them will know that if one part suffers, the whole, part, the whole body suffers, right? If you've had your kidneys pack it in or something like that, you know that that's not freedom when one part suffers. Actually, if the liver stops cleaning the blood, that's not freedom. If your heart stops beating the blood, that's definitely not freedom. Every part needs every part working together for the good of the body. We rely on each other. And when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. And so what we have here is a picture of freedom that actually really, when you think about it in the church, really is freedom. We are free from being focused on ourselves. So now we can focus on each other. We can really, truly love because we're not so obsessed with loving ourselves. We can really truly serve others because we're not so obsessed with serving ourselves. And what would our church look like if this was our church? What would our church look like if we're the kind of church that does not use our freedom to indulge in the flesh, but rather serves each other humbly in love? The kind of church where we love our neighbour as ourselves. Now, praise God, I can see ways that really I see that. And that's wonderful. And I think, imagine I was more like that myself. Imagine each of us. Imagine this church was a church that did that. What would it look like? I mean, what would it look like to truly love our neighbour as ourselves? What would it look like if someone's not at church for a little while? We notice that we haven't seen someone for a bit or, or we see someone down at the shops and they look like they're having a bit of a hard time. Or we notice that someone's been having a little trouble with one of their kids. How do we really love each other how we would like to be loved? Gee, that would be a profoundly free community, wouldn't it? A community of generosity, and of kindness, and of care, and concern. Now that's freedom. But how? How do we do this? How do we go from being self-absorbed and chasing our pleasures to actually putting other people first, genuinely, on the inside as well as the outside? Do we just uh, try a bit harder, you know? Do we just try and be a bit stricter on ourselves and maybe that will transform our hearts? More disciplined, more routined, get a bit more law into us? Well, no, that's not going to work, is it? Actually, that's what Paul's been arguing against for the whole book that we've looked at this term, isn't it? 
You can try harder. You can add more laws. You can be stricter. That will not change your heart. There's only one thing that will change our hearts. And here we see in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit, 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We are free to live by the Spirit. Now, if you remember back a week or turn back a page in your Bible, you'll remember, how did we become free? How did we become free? Did we do it ourselves? No, we didn't do it ourselves. We didn't become free by our own effort. And we can't become free by what we do. We can't make ourselves right with God by our works. It's only by the work of God's Spirit in us. And we can only become free by the work of God's Spirit, so we can only continue free by the work of God's Spirit. We can only serve and love and live free, not by our own hard work or effort, but by the work of God's Spirit in us, transforming our hearts. So what does it mean when we're told here to walk by the Spirit? How do we do that? If that's something God does in us, well, what do we have to do? How do we cooperate with that? Well, have a look back at chapter 3 and verse 2. I'd like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? After beginning by the means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So again I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law, by the things that you do? Or does he do it by your believing what you heard? See, how did we receive the Spirit? How does the Spirit work in us? How do we walk and live by the Spirit? By believing what we heard. It's not what we heard on the radio. It's not what we heard down the street. Of course, it's what we've heard in God's word. It's when we hear the good news, the message of Jesus, and we believe, yes, Jesus is the king. Yes, Jesus brings freedom. Yes, he's taken away my sin and given me forgiveness and made me right with God. That is how we receive the Spirit. And so we live by the Spirit in the same way as we receive the Spirit by believing what we have heard, by having faith in the good news of the gospel, believing that Jesus has done everything. This is how God's Spirit does a work, a miracle in us and puts to death our passions. It's how he does a miracle in us and gives us hearts that love our neighbours like we love ourselves. Now, as we believe what we've heard... Well, we need to be hearing, don't we? And 
if we need to be hearing, actually, this, this really says something about why it's so important to be spending regular time, quality time in the Scriptures. Now, if, if the word of the, of the... Sorry, if the sword of... Blah, 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 blah. If the word of God is described as the sword of the Spirit, I want you to sort of picture that sword for a minute. Now, if you're going to go into battle, do you want to go into battle with a blunt sword? No? Do you want to go into battle with a sword that's kind of got chunks out of it and the end's missing? No. Do you want to go into battle with a sword where you pull it out of the hilt and you realise all you've got is a handle and no blade? That's not much good. Well, it's like that. If we're in a spiritual battle, the devil is out to get us. We are under attack. We need the sword of the Spirit. If we are going to live by the Spirit... We want a sword that actually holds together. We want a sword that's actually all one piece and is sharp and is ready for battle. How does it get sharp and ready for battle? Well, by time spent in God's word, prayerfully reading the scriptures and those, those passages, this, you know, these truths getting so deep into our heads and our hearts that when we come under attack, when that alternate false idea of freedom keeps pecking away at us we've got that sword of truth to go no i know you are just slavery freedom comes from following god from loving others from living by the spirit now jesus quoted scripture when he was tempted remember when he went out into the desert before he was tempted when he was tempted by the devil, he quoted scripture. And Jesus also prayed. In Ephesians 6, where we see the spirit, praying in the spirit goes hand in hand with the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Pray also at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. See, as well as getting out God's word, Jesus prayed whenever he was tempted. Jesus prayed in the desert. He prayed before the cross. He prayed in the midst of the struggle. He prayed on the cross. Now, I don't know if you've ever come across a book. Uh, it's a very old book, and it's uh, probably one of my favourites. Uh, it's Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, and in Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character called Stand Fast. Um, you'll, you'll get to know in Pilgrim's Progress, all the characters are named after their you know, their, their characteristics. And Standfast, he's a Christian and he's on the road to the celestial city, which is, you know, he's on the way uh, to, God's, to heaven, to God's kingdom. And he gets approached and harassed by this very attractive woman. Uh, and this woman promises him everything. She's sort of throwing gold at his feet. She's promising him her bed and her love and all the joys and treasures and pleasures that he can imagine. And after a while, he just doesn't know what else to do. And so he just drops to his knees and he prays. He just prays that God will help him, that he will deliver him. Uh, and in the book, uh, as soon as he lifts his head, she's gone. And while he's praising God, that God gave him the strength to endure this temptation, he meets new pilgrims, new Christians who come with him and, and they encourage him and support him. And God fills him up with strength to keep going. 
Now, since Keely and I moved here uh, just two months ago, I've actually felt like the devil's attacks have really kind of ramped up. Um, I feel like over the past two months, I found this clash of freedoms has been far more intense uh, than normal. And I've really struggled with it. I've really struggled. I want to be free from sin. But at the same time, that lie that I might be missing out, that lie that I just need to throw off the restraints and go for it and grab the things that I desire, well, that seems really tempting. And over the last two months, as I've been working through Galatians over the last few months, this passage just time and time again has come up. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Scott, you're not to do whatever you want. Those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you know, when I've believed that word, it's incredible the freedom that washes over. Isn't it incredible the freedom that when God gives you that strength to say no to sin, how wonderful it feels to kind of look back at it and go, I got through that. And you realise how much freer and how much better it is than those times when you do fall, when you do give in. See, true freedom is chalk and cheese. One is really free, the other is really slavery. To serve ourselves is to live in slavery. But to serve a brother and sister, to love others, to walk with the Spirit saying no to sin, well, that is true freedom. Thank you, Scott. Well, we've definitely been given plenty of, uh, of things to think about. And what a wonderful thing it is that we do have the freedom to be called God's children through Christ. And what an awesome day it will be when we hear all of God's children singing glory, glory, alleluia, he reigns. So would you please stand if you're able and let's sing together.